I watched that movie. I watched that movie clip. I think about the movie Wayne's World. The thing that hit me this week more than anything else, and I'm, I mean, I'm of a certain generation, but I looked at that movie and I thought, and I, and I was looking at some information in the background of it, and I thought, how in the world can that movie be almost 25 years old? Does that, does that make anybody else feel a little old? I, I feel a little old. I'm like, geez, time, time flies when you're having fun. Right? But there's a lot in that movie. And let me tell you, there are movies and then there are movies, right? I mean, there are movies that you kind of watch. You think, oh, yeah, that's cool. And then there are deep, hard-hitting, theological hotbeds, right, for sermon illustrations. You know, movies like Wayne's World. And you just think, gosh, I love that movie. There is so much that we could talk about in it. Well, maybe if I really had to try hard, right? But the main thing, why I show you this clip this morning, the main thing we need to know about Wayne and Garth is that for them, at least at one moment in their life, they were in the presence of greatness, right? And greatness for them equals Alice Cooper. They're so excited to see him. They got their backstage passes. I took off my lanyard this morning, but I was walking around this morning being like, hey, I'm at Hope Des Moines, backstage pass, gonna go hang out in the sound booth. I, I don't know. I did that all the time as a kid when I watched that movie growing up. And they're so excited. I mean, think about it. They, they are in love with this, uh, their idol, the, this guy named Alice Cooper, right? This dark, twisted, I'm a little creeped out when I Googled his name this week and saw some of the pictures that he had online. I mean, he's just a different kind of guy, right? And they get these backstage passes, spending time with him, and their dreams have come true. They could not be more excited to be back there. I mean, you can see the looks on their face. I mean, Garth can hardly even utter words, Right? They're so excited until they actually start to talk to him and they realize there's this whole other person beneath the service. I mean, who knew walking in here this morning that Alice Cooper had such strong political opinions or such a wealth of knowledge when it came to Native American history? I, I didn't know that. I mean, maybe I watched the movie and I kind of knew that, but I was shocked to see that, right? Wayne and Garth certainly didn't. That's for sure. And here's the thing, it turns out Alice Cooper is full of surprises, full of surprises. You're not going to get Alice Cooper at every church in town. Let me tell you, this is an interesting Sunday morning to be here, isn't it? Right? He's full of surprises. But here's the thing, lucky for you and I, and lucky for the world around us, Alice Cooper isn't the only one full of surprises. Right? We're wrapping up a sermon series today. It's the sermon series, the first one that we've been doing as a part of 2015. It's called Meet Jesus. Everybody say, Meet Jesus. Meet Jesus. That's exactly what we want to do. I mean, you, you look at these uh, figures in history, these people that have come and have gone, and, and if you spend any time studying history, you begin to understand the lives of people are pretty complicated, right? People's personalities, they're multifaceted. They're complex things. They're complex people. They have complex stories, and Jesus is no exception, Every Sunday so far this year, we've been looking through the Gospels and through some different stories at all of these different angles of who is Jesus. We really want to meet Jesus so that we can get to know him better. And as we've gotten to know Jesus, it turns out he's full of surprises too, right? Just a few things we talked about these last few weeks. One, he's a teenager and he gets in front of, a, in front of the whole temple and he teaches with authority as a young boy right? He shocks the world. I mean, he turns the whole universe upside down for the people that are at worship with him that day when he stands up after reading a scroll from Isaiah and says, that's me. I'm the Messiah, full of surprises. Last week, he changed water into wine, right? Wherever Jesus goes, he's constantly full of surprises. 
And this shouldn't come as a surprise to us because it's, it's how God has been operating for centuries. I mean, think about it. If you've ever spent time reading God's story, a few things just to point out. One is, right, God uses a baby born in a barn to change the world and reconcile humanity to himself, right? God takes a Christian killer, the Apostle Paul, who's on a mission and twists and turns that mission and transforms Paul into the most successful missionary on the planet. And yeah, you can say, you can look at these biblical examples and say, yeah, those are great. But here's the thing that I love. And this is part of why I love coming to worship with you all on Sunday mornings. Because for some of us, some of us sitting here this morning, even the fact that we're here is a surprise, right? And maybe it's the fact that you're even still alive, right? Sometimes I look at my life, I look at my children and I think there's no way they're going to make it, all right? Until they're in their 30s or whatever, right? It's the fact that you're alive. Some of us, it's the fact that we have even people to come with, right? But for some of us, I mean, it's the fact that we even believe in Jesus Christ. Because if we go back in our stories and if we think about it, if you look back a little bit, some of us it's days, some of us it's weeks, months, maybe in years or decades. But if you go back in your story, there's probably a point in your life, maybe, where this whole thing just seemed kind of crazy. It seemed far off. The last place that we would have found you was worshiping in a church. God is full of surprises. I love that about Him. And I'm no exception to the rule. I don't know how much you guys know about me, how much of my story I've shared with you, but I grew up in a little town just an hour north here, Story City, Iowa, population 3,900, right? I am a small town Iowa farm kid who in high school was on a mission to do absolutely as little as possible to get through life. Total slacker. If you came to me and said, Andy, guess what? 15 years, 20 years from now, guess what? You are going to be a pastor. And not only that, you're going to stand in front of real people and you're actually going to try and say something helpful to them and, and they may learn a little bit of something about Jesus, right? If, I, if you told me that in high school, I would have done two things. One, I would have laughed at you or I would have just punched you in the face. I would have had no idea that that was going to happen. That is until God got a hold of my life. You see, God just shows up in these most random places, in these most unexpected ways. And it changes everything. So you heard a little bit about me. We want to hear a little bit about you. We have a discipline or a, a practice around here that we do just from time to time. Uh, it's called community time, and it's this thing. And I know some of you are like, I totally did not come to church this morning to talk to a real person. I just want to sit in my chair, and I, and I get that. And I will say to that extent, if you're an introvert and you're sweating right now because I'm going to ask you to talk to another human being, I get it. I totally understand. If you need to go use the restroom or conveniently go refill your coffee, that's fine. That's fine. The invitation is to connect. And we have so many people living in such a culture that's so isolated, even though oftentimes we are surrounded by people. We just think it's so worth being faithful to God's command to connect in community, real, honest, sincere community. That's why we do little things like this. It's not just so we can make you uncomfortable, but uncomfortable is good. That's how we grow. That's part of God's plan and story for our life. So we're going to put these questions up on the screen. I want you, if you want to, you can talk to a real life human being. Name, that's usually a good place to start when you're interacting with someone, right? How long you've been a part of Hope Des Moines, this crazy circus that we call Hope Des Moines, right? And three, in your life, where has God 
surprised you. I'm only going to give you a couple minutes, so please don't hog the conversation. Be brief, just a couple sentences or whatever, but uh, let's do it. On your marks, get set. Talk to somebody you don't know. Go! I love doing community time for so many reasons, but I think one of the biggest ones is it's so easy for us to come up with answers. I mean, yeah, it's maybe kind of hard, and if you're new to this whole faith thing and you're like, I don't know what God surprised me with. I mean, I guess maybe he brought me here, right? We may not all have the same answer, but it's not hard for us to think about these things. I mean, God is full of surprises. And it turns out, though, God isn't done with surprising people either. Today, as we continue this final installment in the series, I mean, meeting Jesus, who is Jesus? What kind of guy is he? We learn again God is full of surprises. And today, Jesus has one last surprise for us in this series, not just for us, but for a guy named Simon who we're going to meet in Luke 5. Simon, who later on, if you know the story, becomes Peter. So the whole day, I'm gonna, the rest of the sermon, I'm going to talk about Peter, even though in the text his name is Simon. So we're going to jump into Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bible with you this morning, pull it out. If you need to punch someone in the arm and say, hey, go get me a Bible. I'm stuck in the middle of this row. Do that, because it's awesome to be able to follow along. We want you to take these Bibles home with you. We want you to use them, to study them, to get to know Jesus, because as a church, we happen to believe Jesus is worth getting to know. Luke 5, here we go. Just a little introductory. Up until this point, Luke has been setting the stage. He's been laying the groundwork for us to even begin to answer this question, who is Jesus? He's been giving genealogy, um, just a little bit of where he's come from, John the Baptist in there. He's even done some miracles. Up until this point, though, we begin to realize Jesus has been operating as a solo act. Yes, he's part of the Trinity, so he's got the power of the Holy Spirit within him. He's following the instructions and has been sent by the Father. But I'm saying when it comes to interacting with human beings and aligning people with his mission, he hasn't been doing any of that yet. Here's the thing about Jesus, though. He's doing the work that God has sent him to do, not just to be a blip on the screen of humanity, right? Not just some chapter in a book somewhere, some little thing that happens, but he wants to turn the world upside down. I mean, for centuries, you go all the way back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are in the garden, they sin. What does God do? Adam and Eve are off hiding. God pursues them. God's coming after them. He's hunting them down might be a, a strong way to say it, but I think if you really know the heart and the love of God, he's relentless. Why do we have so many surprises? Because God is coming after us. And that story keeps continuing. That's why Jesus is here. He doesn't just want it to be some little thing that we talk about and say, oh, wasn't that great? And the book just collects dust, right? He wants it to keep going. Jesus doesn't want to be famous. He wants to start a movement. He wants to create something that's going to last for centuries, that's actually going to reach every nook and cranny of this world and is going to turn it upside down with the kingdom of God. And so he does that. It's a movement, too, that works. It's so successful. Think about this. What we're reading about in chapter 5 of Luke was so successful. It's the very reason. Because it was, it was so successful, it's why you and I are sitting here today. Right? Jesus spends time with some dudes. Pours his life into them. They pick up what he's about. They receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They're sent out. They happen to share the message with some other people and it catches on like wildfire. Next thing you know, the Roman Empire is Christian. And you carry that on, sharing with a few more people who are sharing with a few more people who are sharing with a few more people, not just with their words, but the way that they live their life. You and I are sitting here today because that worked. 
And so that's what Jesus is doing. That's the page that he's turning here in Luke chapter 5. So how does he do it? How does he launch a movement? We're going to spend the rest of the time today looking at this. So if you've got your Bible, Luke 5, starting in verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. Verse 2, he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. There's a lot of things about Scripture that we know about Jesus. Here's one that you can always bet on. Jesus knows a lot of things, but one of the things he's really great at is drawing a crowd. Think about this. You're a great teacher, right? You're just hanging out and you decide to raise someone from the dead, cast out a demon. People are going to come and they're going to want to see, right? Try it this afternoon when you go home. Uh, feel free to cast out some demons and see, you know, raise someone from the dead and see if a news crew happens to show up, right? Jesus knows how to draw a crowd. There's thousands of people gathered around him. Only one problem. The crowd is beginning to get in way. It's so big that he can't find a way to teach all the people. So Jesus does what we in my house like to call the MacGyver, right? He MacGyvers the situation. Everybody say MacGyver, MacGyver. right? He begins to use all that God has given him around him, including the very water and boats and land around him to reach people. See, there's this weird thing. And if you've ever been in a lake and tried to have a conversation or you're sitting on a dock and there's a boat a mile away out on a lake and you can hear every word that these people are saying, it's a really interesting thing. Try not to have a confidential conversation on water because there's something about water that allows sound to travel over it, right? Jesus knows this. And so he comes to Peter and he says, push your boat out in the water. Can I borrow your boat? Take me out to the water. Scholars believe that this is common practice. It happened all the time. Jesus understands how these things work. He also understands that the Sea of Galilee has been created by God with these little inlets, these little uh, coves that create natural amphitheaters. And so you've got this, this little bay in the water with Jesus sitting in the middle on the boat with the water, and it works perfectly. It allows him what he needs to speak to thousands of people. It's almost like he created the world or something, right? <laughs> to use that. It's a natural amphitheater that works for him to get his message across. So Jesus comes to Peter for this reason. Again, he asks for his boat and he steps in and continues to teach the crowd. And I'm sure it was great teaching. I'm sure it was life-changing teaching. But what we're focused on today isn't the teaching, it's what happens after. There's something about what Jesus does in this story that just blows me away every time I think about it. And I think this is probably one of my top 10 favorite passages of scripture because of it. You see, as Jesus wraps up something interesting doesn't happen, right? Jesus is in a boat. I think he's with Peter, right? Something interesting doesn't happen. He doesn't ask to be taken back in. He wants to stay with Peter. He doesn't dismiss Peter, doesn't ask him to go somewhere else. No, Jesus does what Jesus does best. He does what God has been doing for centuries. He gives him an invitation to try something new, an opportunity almost, and a peculiar one at that. Verse four, next, jumping right along. He says to Peter, he says, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. I love this about Jesus. You might be saying, well, what's the deal? Here's the deal. You see, God sees what we can't. And because Jesus is God, Jesus sees what Peter can't. Because he's God, 
Jesus knows Peter better than Peter knows Peter. And so when he looks at this fisherman, he doesn't see a fisherman. He doesn't see the person that he is today. He sees the person that he can be down the road. And what Jesus is doing by hitting pause on his tour around the Sea of Galilee is giving Peter an invitation to go deeper, to be transformed, to be more and more like the person that God has created him to be. In Peter, he sees potential. And if you had to put a sentence around this, this, this heart, this passion that not just Jesus has, but God has for all of us, you would say that you could almost say that Jesus loves Peter too much to leave him the way that he is. He's got an opportunity. He can let it go by, but he loves Peter too much to let it float away. And so he does something about it. You and I probably know from reading the Gospels, Peter's a little rough around the edges, opens his mouth before he thinks from time to time, right? But it turns out Jesus knows Peter so well that he wants to take him deeper. He has a surprise for him, again, one that's going to change the entire direction of his life, dare I say, history. We know that Jesus loves Peter too much to leave him the way he is. And my question for you this morning is, who do you have in your life that loves you too much to leave you the way that you are? We talk all the time in this church about being connected, join a group, join a team, get in community. But what does that mean? Who do you have in your life that's willing when you're maybe not living up to your full potential will ask you how you're doing? Right? If they see you not being yourself, if they see you in a different way, someone who will hold you accountable, someone who will love you no matter what. What does that look like in your life? Do you have that kind of Christian brother or sister or community? Because that's where we believe God is calling us as a church to go. For better or for worse, if I'm honest, I experience this kind of love all the time. And sometimes it's painful. Case in point, yesterday afternoon, my wife and I are at a hotel in Minneapolis, Minnesota, attending one of her best friend's wedding, right? And I'm doing good. I've got my suit on. I mean, I've even managed to get all the wrinkles and like the baby burp up stains off of it. I mean, I'm feeling good. Ladies, I've got my belt that matches my shoes. <laughs> Guys, little pro tip there, belt, shoes, right? Socks should match the pants. I'm good to go. I'm feeling really good. You guys, I even took a shower. I mean, I was clean and I combed my hair and I was ready to go until I look over at Mrs. Hermanson and she's got this look on her face and it drives me crazy because I can tell she's analyzing the situation. She can tell something's not quite right. She's trying to figure out what it is and she's kind of studying my face and I'm just like, what is going on? And finally she goes, ah, come here, come here, come here, come over here. All right, turn around. I, want to look. I just want to look at your face. And she says, yes. I found it. Two words, nose hair. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? Nobody's going to see. Let's just, let's just get out of here. Let's go to the wedding. We have like 20 minutes to get there. And she's like, no, 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 no. I love you too much to let you leave this hotel room with that. <laughs> Do you know what she did? And I have her permission to tell this story, by the way, right? This woman travels with tweezers, Okay. And I, guys, I'm not kidding. 15 minutes later, I don't have a single stray hair on my face. And I'm wreathing in pain because she's plucking hair after hair after hair. And this whole time, I'm just thinking, this is not 
what I signed up for and how I thought I'd spend my Valentine's Day. <laughs> I can still feel it. Ouch. Why did she do it? Maybe she didn't want to be embarrassed with me, being seen with me in public, right? Or maybe she loves me. Maybe even when I've got weird nose hair things going on, she loves me enough to tell me the truth. She doesn't want to leave me just the way that I am. And believe it or not, God feels the exact same way about you. I mean, you are so loved. Do you understand that? I mean, that's why we come here and we worship this God because He is worth putting our time and energy into worshiping. And it, not because we come here, but just because He's so good. His love is lavished on us. There's no way that we're going to be able to comprehend how much God loves us. And we get to experience that love all the time as well. God's love for you is relentless. When you share your surprises with another person, when you think about your own life, can you see just the little things that God worked out in your story so you could be the person you are today? And maybe you're not satisfied with that. Maybe God is still in the process of working on you. But you should be able to look back and see God's grace all over your life even if it's in the littlest, subtlest ways. It's part of growing as a disciple is beginning to understand that we're on this journey with God and he's there every step of the way. God loves us. He has this amazing love and Peter's about to find out firsthand what that looks like when God's love and his power and his grace show up in a powerful way. So Jesus comes to Peter in the middle of the day with the invitation to put his boat out into the deeper water. And if you're a fisherman, this has to be a really strange invitation. First off, what does a carpenter know about fishing, right? Who's this rabbi that just shows up thinking he knows what's going on? I mean, apparently not much because any fisherman worth his salt, my experience also has been, you catch the most fish in the dawn or at dusk, right? Or maybe in the time in between. In Jesus' day, the best fishing happened at night. It's the middle of the day. What's Jesus up to? It's why Peter and his buddies have already been out all night. Because that's when they're supposed to be out here. So Jesus offers this invitation and there's something about it. I don't know if it's the teaching that he delivered earlier. I don't know if it's the reputation that Peter has heard I can't help but wonder if it's the look in his eye that gets Peter to respond with invitation. Verse 5, master, he says, right? Already conveying respect and authority to his Lord. We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And he does. He does. And in doing so, Peter models for us what it means to live a life of faith, a, a life to follow Jesus. If I am in this situation, I am, even if I'm on the outside saying, yeah, Jesus, you got it, you got it, I'm like, what am I doing out here? Why is this guy making me put my nets out here? At least for a moment, I've got to question that. But at the end of the day, the fruit determines the root. Peter's obedience shows us what's going on inside. There's something about Jesus that's already began to give, to get a hold of him and to reorient his life. 
If you're Peter in this scenario, you've got to at least ask a little question about if this is going to work. But the cool thing is in this story, it does. It does. Verse 6, and this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were so filled with fish that they were on the verge of sinking. I'm sure they're scrambling, they're running around doing all this stuff and I'm sure Jesus is just sitting there calm, cool, collected. He just says, bingo, gotcha, right? And here's the best part, they haven't seen anything yet. But God's glory shows up in this unfathomable way which makes Peter's reaction understandable. Just as Wayne and Garth at the beginning of this sermon, right? I had that clip, right? They're in the presence of greatness. Well, Peter's just found greatness on a whole new level. And this is what happens. It says, when Simon Peter realized his brain is still catching up with what his eyes are seeing, what his hands are managing, when Simon Peter realized what finally had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Verse 9 says that he was awestruck by all that God had done. I would give anything to be in the boat and watch Peter. I mean, who I picture to be this strong, muscular, I mean, he's been pulling nets all night, burly, bearded, strong, man's man, to watch him be reduced to tears on his knees at the very experience of God's presence. Something went down in that boat, and it's about to turn Peter's world upside down. Job has a similar experience in 42. This is what Job has to say. He says, I had only heard about you before. Now I've seen you with my own eyes. And he goes on to point out that his life is never the same. To say that Jesus surprised Peter is an understatement. And yet the surprises aren't over. Look at Jesus' response. He's got yet another thing. Now he's got Peter where he wants him. He's teachable. He goes another step. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Let me say that again. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Some of us hear this and we think, fishing for people? Like, you just, you just became a Christian, right? You just experienced God. Like, don't you need to go study the Bible? Don't you need to go to church a bunch of times before you go out and fish for people? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Like, this is the end game. This is part of it, right? Jesus is carrying on the work that God has sent him to do, to launch this movement, to, to, to change the world, to put it back together, and it turns out God's been doing this for a long time. This process of taking someone's life and molding it and shaping it to be more like his and releasing it into the world. And I was thinking about it this week and I found the perfect illustration of this right here in our worship. On a monthly basis, we do this thing called communion. We hand out bread and wine and we do it because it's what Jesus did. He commands us to do the same and I was thinking about what God does, what he's doing in Peter's heart and in Peter's life, what God wants to do in ours. And it's no different than the bread, the bread that we already have in our hands one Sunday a month here at this church, right? What does Jesus do? He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it away to his disciples. 
And what if as children of God, God has already blessed you and as his disciple who's following him, who has these encounters with real life, but also with the God of the universe, what if part of that is realizing it doesn't revolve all around us? What if he's breaking us down, he's reshaping us, and he's building us up into something new, not so we can sit and consume and just kind of camp out where we are, but what if God's ready to send us back out there? What if God's ready to give us away? In the same way, Jesus takes each one of us and does that very process. Now, as a Christian, though, we might look at it different. A lot of times we talk around faith stories and we talk about what God has done who and who I was before Jesus. Then we talk about what Jesus did in my life and we talk about who we are, right? And I think sometimes we talk about the who we are now because of Jesus. We, we don't think about it in quite as complex ways as maybe we should. I mean, sure, all of us, and I'm sorry if you can't see this very well, Right? But we start out in life with this fallen state. I mean, the Bible talks about that. But eventually, Jesus comes into your life, and that's been my experience. And Jesus finds us, we're found. But the cool thing, Jesus doesn't just want to find us and, and say hello to us. He wants to forgive. And the cool thing is, he doesn't just want to forgive you. God wants to set you free. And we see these things happening all the time around this church. It's awesome to be a part of a church where God is not just forgiving people, but he's setting them free. Free from addiction, free from bad relationships, free from living too small of a story, pursuing the wrong thing with our lives. But here's the thing. It doesn't just end with our freedom. When we're set free, we're set free for what? I think Luke put this story in his gospel because there's a fifth component to this process. And it's to fish. God has created you and I to fish. Ephesians 1, Paul talks about it. We'll put the words up on the screen. He says, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God. And for the longest time, I heard that word inheritance, and I just thought about what happens after we die, right? My inheritance is that Jesus gave me a ticket to go to heaven someday. But I was doing a little thinking this week in inheritance. If you're first century Jew, to, your inheritance wasn't money. It wasn't a ticket, right? It was the family business. It was the family trade. It was a way and a means to live and to survive. And I think that's what Jesus is saying in this story is we've inherited the same mission that Jesus was on. This is the process that God wants to take us on to fish. And it turns out that Peter was not the only one. Remember that rock star from the beginning, the Alice Cooper guy that still kind of freaks me out to this day? Well, it turns out God has taken him through this process as well. As you watch this video, think about how different this might be than the Alice Cooper you thought you knew. Let's take a look. Well, I mean, you know, I grew up in a Christian uh, household. My dad was a pastor, and uh, he was an evangelist for 25 years and, uh, you know, did all that. And I used to go up and do missionary work with him, uh, with the Apaches, you know, to, uh, in Arizona. My grandfather was a pastor for 75 years. So, you know, uh, so I grew up in a Christian home, yeah. And my, my wife's father is a Baptist pastor. <laughs> so I was like, we are PKs, you know, preacher's kids, married each other. So uh, I always refer to myself as the, the, the real prodigal son. Because, I mean, I went out and the Lord let me do everything. Maybe didn't let me, but allowed it, you know, and then just started reeling me back in, you know, saying, you know, okay, you've seen enough, 
now let's 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 you know let's bring you back to where you belong and uh, you know when you get out there and you realize that, that you've had every car you've had every house and then all that you realize that that's not the answer that there's a great big nothing out there at the end of that so the materialism doesn't mean anything you know and a lot of people say that there's a there's a big god-shaped hole in your heart and you know when that's filled then you, you really are satisfied and i think that's where i'm at right now you know i'm, I'm very young in the in, in the faith even though i grew up in it so i mean i do a lot of study a lot of bible study things like that and when i stopped drinking uh i started going back to church with my wife and there was this pastor in, in Phoenix that was just hellfire. I mean, he would, and there'd be 6,000 people there, and he was talking to me every Sunday. You know, of course he wasn't, but he was. <laughs> just nailing me. I mean, every weekend I'd get, I was exhausted. I'd come out of there and I'd go, I don't want to go back. Okay, it was like torture, but I always came back. You know, and I finally realized that I had to go one side or the other. I had to make a decision one side or the other because I was so convicted. You know, the Lord really convicted me and said, look, look it's time for you to, to make a decision here. So I said, okay. You know, and I, and uh, I joined a church called Camelback Bible over there. As a, as a child of God, um, what is your primary mission in life? Well, I think, you know, like anything else, you try to be, God's chipping away at your, at your life all the time to try to make you more like Him. And that's what, what a Christian is, is a person that's being molded and shaped all their life. And so that's what you have to be aware of all the time during study, during worship, during everything. During every, you know, going to a baseball game reflects your, your Christian life. You know, how your attitude in playing golf, your attitude in everything you do. You know, I think that, uh, that the Lord expects you to do, to do your best, you know, in, in His name. You know, so, so I mean, it doesn't, I had a long struggle for a long time about, you know, rock and roll. And, and I realize it's not really the music, it's what's being said with the music. You know, and so I think that, uh, that you, have to, you have to be very careful of what you're writing and what you're representing. Do you see yourself as a, as a teacher of God's Word? Well, I think any, any Christian is. They have to be. That's part of it. You have to, your life is a ministry. Your life is a, is, a, is a testimony. Is that crazy or what? I had no idea until I came across that video clip. Right? Alice Cooper. I mean, the guy that I probably will never let my kids go to one of his rock and roll shows has been hijacked by God and used for his glory to the point where he's extending God's kingdom. The lead singer of Metallica became a Christian because of his relationship with Alice Cooper. In his own way, in the mysterious, and we can have critiques of it or whatever, but God's doing amazing things in the most unexpected places. God is full of surprises. Did he do it because he had to? Or did he share? Or did he do it because God had done something amazing in his life? God has given us this gift of fishing, right? And I think God has this story in the gospel so we remember it's God's presence that leads us to fish, right? It's this whole process of being found, forgiven, and set free that equips us and empowers us to fish. And we're all in different places on this. Right? But I think what God wants us to know is it's a get-to. It's not a got-to. It's part of our journey. We were designed and created to fish. It's part of it. But how do we do it? How do we do it in a way that isn't invasive or awkward or intrusive on people's lives? I came across another video clip this week that just stole my heart. Right? We talk all the time about being a church who wants to reach out to the world around us 
and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And I finally had to put that into my own words because it just got so mundane and, and boring and normal for me, right? What does it look like for us as the people of God, as the family of God to bring the power, not just the words and the judgment and the actions, but the power and the hope of the gospel to every neighborhood of Des Moines. I was thinking about that this week. I saw this video clip and I thought of us. As you take a look, ask yourself this question, what does it look like for me to reach the people I'm surrounded by during the week with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ? Let's take a look. What would it look like for the church to wake up to its true identity as a community meant to be in the streets, in the gutters with people? What would it look like for disciples of Jesus Christ to go into the darkest places where no one else is willing to go, to rescue people and bring them to the hope that's in Jesus Christ? We came here to the King's Motor Inn to explore the idea of what would it look like to even be on mission here with our neighbors who are struggling. The I-5 corridor is a super highway of drug trafficking and sex trafficking. And that's why we are trying to set up camp right here in the middle of it, because we believe that Jesus' kingdom needs to shine most brightly here in this dark place. It's incredible what happens every weekend as we come here. We'll rent a room, we often cook out, we've had face painting, there's a bunch of kids who actually stay here with their families, and every single weekend we see Jesus doing amazing things in the hearts and minds of the people we're meeting. There are dozens of women that we have met that are caught up in the sex industry. So when I'm able to give these women who at times like want nothing to do with church or religion um, or a handout um, and are scared, when I'm able to just be to give them a two-second testimony that I too had come from a life of addiction and chains and bondage in the sex industry and that God has redeemed me and that I'm totally a new person, that clicks something in them. It gives them hope, that there's hope for them. And darkness has to go. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. That means that he hung out with the town drunk. He hung out with the women who had reputations. And what did he do? He brought them hope. He brought them healing. And that's our goal as we follow Jesus here in Fife, Washington. We want to see Jesus bring hope to people in the middle of the most desperate situations. People here have responded so well. They're just so encouraged and often just kind of taken back because they've never seen a church do this. It's just so cool to see people that are actually, they're coming alive. The things that have been happening in my life are just it's God sent. I know it. So I truly believe in God today, and I know that God is my Savior. I said, man, about three months ago, man, I was holding a pipe, you know, and weapons in my hands, getting high in the street. Now I'm standing here singing to God, holding the Bible. And I feel so good, bro. I can't believe this. Jesus said, He loves me. He saved my life, man. This is the best dope you can get. It's free. It's dope, church. It's God's family. You know, we're all the family of Christ. That only God can only God can change your life like this. I watched that movie. The first thing that went through my head was, wait a minute, did he just compare Jesus to dope? 
He absolutely did. And when you think about it, there's something to that, right? I mean, we know that drugs are addictive and powerful. You see these kinds of things all over the place. But what about the grace of God? Isn't this powerful thing as well? I mean, they believe that to their core as a church to the point that's literally the name of their church is Dope Church. You can Google it. They're on a mission. They're living out God's call to be a part of what God's been doing for centuries, putting the world back together the way that it should be, right? Bringing Jesus to the front lines, to the darkest places, wherever people are. They're not doing it because they have to. They're doing it because they want to. Because just as Jesus showed up in his greatness for Peter in that boat that day, they've shown, he's shown up in their lives as well. He's, he's showing up here all the time. The question is, what are we going to do about it? We have this opportunity to be a part of something, bringing the power and the hope of the gospel to every neighborhood in Des Moines. And as we are wrapping up the sermon today, I was thinking about it this week and I said, I mean, we could close with some story or some video or something, but I think the most powerful thing to close with is an opportunity for God to speak to us. And so Jed's going to share just a little bit of a song that spoke to me throughout my life. You don't need to stand up. I just want you to get comfortable. Everything that you've heard today, I want you to have a minute just to process it and to think, what's my next step? Right? Sure, some of us might walk in here fallen or having just been found. But the reality is that God wants to, you to experience all of these things at the same time. That's what it means to live the Christian life. You don't have to be perfect to go fish. God needs you today. And it's not any harder than sharing your story and loving the people around you. So what does that look like? Jed's going to lead us. We'll sing a little song and then we'll go home.